We all live our lives by putting trust in things around us every day. For instance, if you eat at a restaurant, you have faith that the cook properly prepared your food at the right temperature to kill any potential food bacteria or salmonella. You have faith that the the cook washed his hands before preparing your meal. Even driving requires trust. When meeting the opposing traffic on a two-lane road, you have faith that the other driver will control his or her vehicle and keep it on the other side of the yellow line. It requires trust that the mechanic correctly serviced the brakes on your vehicle. I doubt that you check under the hood for a bomb before you start your car or truck. If you turn the key in the ignition without sweeping for explosives, you are operating your life with trust. We trust that the pilot hasn't belted down a couple of drinks before the flight and that he will have keen reflex response or that the surgeon hasn't had a big fight with his or her spouse. Even attending church requires trust. We're sitting in here right now and we have faith that the parking lot greeters are not looting the contents of our cars. We believe that the engineer who designed the structure, Jerry is in here right now, so I'm not worried about that at all. So, We believe the structure of this facility was designed by an engineer that would provide the ample load-bearing reinforcement to support the weight of the infrastructure and prevent it from collapsing on us. We have confidence that the communion preparation team did not lace the grape juice with hemlock today. So we all live by putting trust in unknown, unseen providers every day. Sometimes we wind up placing our trust in items or things or material possessions that we can see. And we can have a tendency to think that our stuff will solve our problems. And Jesus told a story about a man who had that same tendency. He thought his stuff would take care of anything that he might experience or encounter. And I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 12 today. It's the parable of the the rich fool. And we study this passage. Today I want to challenge us to replace a reliance on wealth and reposition our total reliance on God. I'm going to divide this message into four different parts of this parable. And the first part is the source. God is the source of all that we have, not self. Jesus told the parable of the rich fool to caution us to guard against putting our trust in material things and fail to be rich toward God. We want to grow to trust completely in him. Let's begin reading in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is teaching in verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That 
sounds un-American, doesn't it? That runs counter to everything that our culture tells us. And then he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Did you spot the significant clue as to where this man went wrong? It's in verse 16. It says, the Bible says that the ground produced a good harvest. Notice the man didn't produce the crop. Not at all. The ground produced the crop. The the wealth came as a result of the laws of nature that were created by God. And the rich man never noticed who was the source. Within our, our fallen human nature, there's this tendency toward pride, this predisposition toward forgetting God's blessing and posturing to take credit for his generous provision. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses gave a warning to the people of Israel about this danger. And I think this may be one of those verses that you probably have never read. So listen and hear it as if hearing it for the first time. Moses told the Israelites, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God, as our source of financial wealth and blessing, wants to resource you so that you can give to build his kingdom and to bless other people who are in need. I believe God has wired each of us to be generous. And when we trust completely, we can watch him work it out for us to, to give more. That's what he promised in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. He said, now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When we trust him as the source, the source of all of our blessings, we are secure, we are blessed, and we are able to give. When I'm driving in my truck, I like to listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio and and share some of his uh, advice on managing money. And he has a slogan that you've maybe heard him say. He says, if you live like no one else, then you can live and give like no one else. And that's the idea of if we follow God's principles for our finances, it will position us where uh, we can be generous toward him and, and toward others in need. So as we read on in this parable, we come to the next section in verses 17 to 19, And it describes the stuff, the source, God, and the stuff. So material possessions and wealth are not 
inherently moral or immoral. So, this is my friend Abe Lincoln, a $5 bill. Um, this money is not good. It's not bad. It's, it's a piece of paper. It's neutral. It's amoral. It's not moral or immoral. But the way that I choose to spend it will determine whether it's being used for good or, or, or for bad. The, the truth is our stuff can be a distraction to our priorities. And so Jesus can, continued with the story of the rich fool. Verse 17, the, the fool thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Again, he forgot the source. Then he said, this is what I'll do. A lot of personal pronouns in here. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. He had no thought of the needs of others, and it was almost a, a competition for him to accumulate, to amass, to, to stockpile more stuff. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's such a contrast to the story that Jesus told in, in Mark 12 about the poor widow who gave her all, put in her final two mites, her last two coins. She gave with great sacrifice. She was a giver. She gave her all. She gave in faith. She trusted that her security was in God, not in holding on to her material things. And while Christ hasn't required everyone to give away everything, he has required all of us to give him our entire beings. We each must answer the question, is my passion for acquiring things keeping me from living a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus? As we grow in faith, we will grow in giving back to him. That's a lesson the rich fool never learned. It was all about himself and more, and he didn't think about others. He didn't think how that money could be leveraged to accomplish good. Sometimes we, we hear the expression tithes and offerings. Let's, let's define our terms so that that means the same thing to all of us. What is a tithe? A, a tithe is a tenth. It's 10% of one's gross income. And that was what God required of even the poorest Jew in, in the Old Testament. What is an offering? An offering is a gift above and beyond the tithe. And those of us in the New Testament era living in the church, tithing was never rescinded, and instead we've been challenged to give according to how the Lord has blessed us, which we're living under grace, and, uh, and with those blessings that we have, we can give above and, and beyond the tithe as an expression of our love and gratitude to the Lord. There's a, a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, probably the most misquoted verse in Scripture. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say for 
money is the root of all evil, which is how we've heard it quoted. It says, loving stuff, loving money, that's a root of all kinds of evil. And again, recognizing money is neutral. It's, it's not moral. It's not immoral. It's the way that we handle it that makes it good or, or bad. And then Paul cautions, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, that's the, the entanglement. That's the risk of materialism, of, of our stuff, is it can pull us off course. It, it can change our priorities. It can get us caught up in temporary things, and we, we lose sight of, of what's eternal. And as we unfold the story of the, the parable of the rich fool, we, we see the stress next. I think fear is the, the biggest trap to trusting in, in God's faithfulness. And so during the month of November, we're going to have a faith promise emphasis that will help us face our fears. Uh, what is faith promise? It's making a prayerful decision that's arrived at over these next few weeks, asking God to guide you to how much he would have you give with his partnership in the coming next calendar year of 2022. And so we can all have a rough idea of what our income may be, what we could safely afford to give. But a faith promise gift involves faith in, in God to provide. It stretches beyond what one can safely see to afford. It, it, it's a covenant with God committing in faith to try to go beyond what we can see to give with the understanding that God is to provide the funds as we step toward him in faith. God doesn't provide those additional funds, that, that's, that's fine. But in most cases, God can provide that and will for you and as you enter into this partnership. So hopefully many of you received a letter from the church this, this week with a, a card that just gives you something to focus on for the next three weeks as, as we study and, 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 and seek God on this. And Look at that card and, and pray this prayer each day. Lord, how much would you have me give to your work at Batesville Christian Church in 2022? And that number may change over time, but on, on Sunday, November 21st, we'll come together. And on that card that will be provided, you'll write down your, your faith promise commitment amount. This is done confidentially. You, you do not sign your name to it. It's just something between you and, and God. You'll tear off half of the card to keep and as a reminder of, of your prayer covenant. And then the other half will be, be dropped in a basket as we celebrate that together. And so God will lead you in that decision. And we'll receive those in our, our worship service uh, two weeks from today uh, at, at both services. Those who are worshiping with us online can, can mail their gifts uh, back to the church or their, their commitments and, and participate, uh, even though they're not in the room at that moment. Now, I really believe that most Christians want to give more money 
to the Lord and, and practice greater generosity in, in their worship through giving. I think what, what stifles us is often an overcommitment to consumer debt. Uh, the number one reason why churches struggle to, to reach their financial outreach goals is because Christians fear, if I tithe, I might not be able to pay my bills. And for many, personal debt commitments constrict generous giving. And so if, if that describes the, the place you're in, then you're going to need God's help to overcome this debt problem. And we want to have his partnership and involvement in every step of the solution. He has not abandoned us because of our, our sinful, undisciplined choices. And as with any type of sin, he alone can deliver us from it. And so we're going to learn together that God's response to money problems is the same as his answer to health concerns or family problems or any other difficulty that we encounter. It comes back to God wants us to trust him completely. Not trust in our jobs, not trust in our bank balance. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. And since God wants our hearts, he will work through our finances. And when we learn to, to trust him with our money, we will learn to trust him with anything, even our very lives. Billy Graham said, if, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help him straighten out almost every other area of his life. My question to you this morning is, do you have the right attitude toward money? Are you trusting God or are you trusting in money? Most people are more than willing to trust God for our eternal salvation. But when it comes to the area of finances, many start getting a little bit nervous. And the first step for many will be a change of attitude and an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God over one's finances. It begins with this prayer. God, I want to do this your way. I want your wisdom. I want your guidance, your partnership. I need your blessing in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 say, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. That's the law of the harvest. Every gardener or farmer knows that. The more seed you sow, the more your yield, the bigger the harvest. And then it goes on in verse 7 and says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I know there are some churches that assign a number to people, and they say, we think you can give this amount next year. I'm really uncomfortable with that. That's wrong. 
This is a, a vertical dialogue that each of us is having with God and no one else. And so the church would never impose a number on you. We want you to wrestle with God and, and let God guide you uh, to, to that amount that you will partner with him to give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And then it goes on in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9 and says, God is able to bless you abundantly. Do you believe that? Can, can God take care of, of my expenses and still give me money to, to, to give to his work? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, remember last week, not greeds, but needs, you will abound in every good work. I want you to embark on this partnership with God. I want you to pray to him. I want you to seek him. I want you to listen to him. I want you to wrestle with him as you figure out how to honor God in your giving in this, this coming calendar year. It brings us to the fourth stage of this story, and that's the, the solution. It's found in verses 20 and 21. But God said to the fool, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be, Jesus said, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So really here, there's a price that we would pay if we want to be rich toward self. And there's a privilege that we would bear if we want to be rich toward God. And so we want to honor God first. And then everything else will, will fall into place. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The first fruits concept was a way of paying God first, signifying that he is our, our top priority in life. And the concept of first fruits was understood by those Old Testament Jews who farmed. There in that agrarian community, your future well-being was dependent on a successful harvest. And so when they began to harvest the crop, they would stop. They'd make that first pass around the field with their combine, and they would hit the pause button. And then they would interrupt the harvest and have a worship service to God. They gave him back the very first portion harvested, the first fruits. And what this did, it communicated two things to everyone. First, that God came first. He was the number one priority before they kept any provisions. And then second, it was an act of faith. It was reliance on him. Even though the entire harvest was not yet safely in the barns, they gave back to God and they trusted him to bless and provide what they needed. So how do Christians living in suburbia give God our first fruits today? Well, we deposit our earnings and we write the very first check to the church, God's storehouse, before we take care of any other obligations. And 
more and more people are taking advantage of automatic bill payment, electronically make God the first responsibility by pre-authorizing a, a weekly or bi-weekly or monthly withdrawal that, that goes directly to Batesville Christian Church. We electronically put him first as our top priority and as an expression of faith that he will provide for our needs. I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. The slide, Matthew six thirty-three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If we put God first, those other needs that we have will, will fall into place. But sometimes with a lack of trust, we don't want to put God first, so we put our expenses first or our, our luxuries or some of our toys first, and then eventually we give something to God. And that's not reflecting the teaching here of Matthew six thirty three. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. As we learn to trust completely, putting him first in our finances, in our choices, in our time, in our lives, we will have more than we need. It was three years ago, October 2018. It was a, a beautiful, sunny, 66-degree autumn day. And I received word that a, a church member, Jason Cox, was involved in a, a tractor accident while bush hogging. And Jason was thrown from his tractor, and the, the bush hog mowing deck ran over his foot and cut it off completely. Near the vacant lot where he was mowing, a, a woman over the next ridge heard his cries for help. She got her husband and brother to respond while she called 911. One of the men took off his shirt to bandage the bleeding. The other took off his belt to use it as a tourniquet. And the woman explained later, we had not been out on our lot for six months, but we were there that day. I don't think that was just a coincidence. A state trooper responded to the accident scene and transported Jason to the parking lot of St. John's Church where he entered the air care helicopter where he was taken directly to University Hospital for an emergency surgery. Several of us from church met Lisa at the hospital for prayer and support as the, the surgical team operated on Jason. When I visited with Jason and Lisa at the hospital the next day, we prayed together, thanking God for sparing Jason's life. But despite the, the difficulty of this new challenge, they both expressed a profound sense of gratitude that Jason's life had been spared and they could see God's provision in the events of the previous day. It's a good thing the bush hog didn't cut an artery, I observed, it did. You mean it nicked an artery, I asked? No, it severed the artery, Jason explained. He said the blades had cut through his work boot, severing his leg, but mud and dirt ejected from the mowing deck of the bush hog had lodged and packed the wound, stopping the flow of blood, preventing him from bleeding out. Again, I don't think that's just a coincidence. 
I think it only can be explained as providence and God's provision. Jason expressed, each day when I'm running before work, I spend time in prayer and I ask God to use me. I'm not sure how he's going to do that through my new challenge, but I am trusting that he will. The medical staff and physical therapy team remarked that Jason's upper body strength, his courageous attitude enabled him to recover fully and with the benefit of a new prosthetic leg. He was able to return to his work and construction and do everything he could do before his accident. Here's the lesson. Don't miss this nugget. This is the truth God is wanting you to understand today. Simply this. We've studied today about trusting completely, relying on God to guide us with our finances. It's easy to trust God completely with your finances when you've already surrendered for salvation and you are trusting him with your life. So trust him completely. God is good. He is faithful. He works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. If you want to experience divine peace, the peace that passes understanding, we invite you to respond to the Lord right now by coming forward as we stand together and as we sing.